good morning. Thank y'all for being here again this morning. Um, we're gonna uh, jump in again to this story of Joseph. Listen, I hope y'all are still tracking with me on this. Are y'all, are y'all with me still in this story? Because it's a long story. And, um, but I want us to take our time. I want us to soak it up, take it in, get every little bit that we can out of this story. And so last week, there were a few things that we noticed. Uh, Joseph, we, we saw that he, he's accused by by Potiphar's wife, he's in prison. He meets the cupbearer and the baker. Uh, the the cupbearer gets out. Joseph says, "Hey, remember me." And when he gets out, it's two years that he's waiting, right? And I, I mentioned earlier that we were talking about the waiting, and we said that every moment we make, every moment we wait, is a moment God works. We we have to begin to expand our hearts and our minds to realize that all this time that we're waiting for God to do something doesn't mean he's sitting around doing nothing. He is always doing something. We're in the middle of this pandemic, and I don't know how many times I've heard it out of my mouth and your mouth say, I'm, I can't wait for this to be over. Amen? Okay, so God is working it out, y'all. Like, he's working something. And all this time that we're waiting and all this time that things aren't, changing and we want it to change don't lose heart because he's active it's not like he's just sitting in the corner somewhere waiting uh, and doing nothing Uh, so every moment that we're waiting God's working and then God finally brought change in Joseph's life after that two years and he brought it through Pharaoh who was basically just being really selfish he has these dreams God reveals these dreams to him of what's going to happen and he needs to understand what they mean. And Joseph is the one that God has placed there for that specific time to be able to explain to Pharaoh what it is that God's shown him. And we also discussed how we are like Joseph's in a foreign land. And God has given us something to say, something to speak into the lives of the lost world around us. Because God has revealed himself to them just like he's revealed himself to us. But there's so many who don't understand. And so God has put us in the place that we are because we have something to speak to help them understand what it is that God's trying to show them. And so we have to be responsible with that. And every time we speak up, we have to speak with God's truth and we have to speak it for his fame and glory and not for our own. Joseph said, "Um, Pharaoh, I, I can't do what you're asking me to do, but God can. And we always reflect the glory back to him. And so we, we ended last week where Joseph uh, explains to Pharaoh what the dream means. He says, Pharaoh, what this means is there's going to be a famine. You're going to have seven years where everything is great. You've got plenty of food. Everything is bountiful. You're going to live in high on the hog for seven years, right? But then suddenly, at the end of that, there's going to be a huge famine. And it's going to be so bad that nobody even remembers the past seven years of plenty. It's, it's, it's going to be terrible. And so he explains to him what the dream means. Now I want us to, we're going to look at what, what happens after that. Like what, what Joseph first, he gave Pharaoh knowledge about what the dream means. Now, Joseph is going to follow up that knowledge 
with some wisdom. Look at verse 33. In chapter 41 is where we are. So now, this is Joseph still talking to Pharaoh. Let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint overseers over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Let them gather all the excess food during these good years that are coming. Under Pharaoh's authority, store the grain in the cities so they may preserve it as food. The food will be a reserve for the land during the seven years of famine that will take place in the land of Egypt. Then the country will not be wiped out by famine. So Joseph doesn't just give Pharaoh a knowledge and says, here's what your dream means, Pharaoh, good luck with it. He gives him wisdom to go along with that knowledge. And, and here's something, the first point I want us to think about is that wisdom comes with knowledge, but knowledge doesn't always come with wisdom. Think about that for a minute. That's, that's one of those you've got to sit and go, what? Wisdom comes with knowledge, right? Application always comes with the knowledge that the application is built on. But sometimes there's knowledge without wisdom. And I don't know about you guys, um, but does that not describe what we're living in right now? <laughs> there is information galore. I'm, I'm about sick of hearing information. <laughs> because, one, it all contradicts each other. You know why? Because it's human wisdom. It, it's all different. Um, and information without application, really doesn't do anybody any good, does it? Like, what, what, we're, what we're longing for is not more information. We've got plenty of information. We've got more information than we need. What we're looking for is application. And that's the struggle that I think all of us are, are, are going through. We're, we're information overload. We live in the digital age. You can literally, on your phone, in five seconds, look up the answer to any question you want to know. There's no lack of information in the world, but there is a huge longing and a desire for wisdom. What do we do with all this information? And there's a difference. Scripture talks about the difference between a wisdom that comes from God and a wisdom that comes from the world. Um, I want you to look at James chapter 3 for me. We're going to flip to a couple of other places besides Genesis 41. James chapter 3 talks about wisdom in that way. And I want us to look at, at what that says. I'm going to read to you beginning in verse 13 of James 3. Who among you is wise and understanding? James is asking a question. He says, where, where is it? Those of you who are wise and understanding, where does that come from? Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct... He should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. Think about Joseph's life. How did he get such favor from people everywhere he went? It was good conduct. He, he did the right thing. He, he managed what he was given well. He worked hard. He was loyal. 
says, but with his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. That's Joseph. Okay? Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He says that's the wisdom that comes from people. That's the wisdom that comes from the world. It's not just useless, but he says it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. You know what that means? That sometimes the wisdom of man is dangerous. Sometimes our own earthly wisdom is dangerous, not just to us, but to other people. Verse 16, for where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. I don't know about you guys, but this is just like shouting at me right now because where there is envy and selfish ambition, hello, open your eyeballs and look around you. Envy and selfish ambition. Everybody wants what everybody wants. And everybody is trying to get, I mean, we look at politicians, we look at at everything around us, and, and this, is, this is it. And it's this wisdom, but it's an earthly wisdom because it's rooted, it grows from envy and selfish ambition. And if we're not careful, we will let our wisdom be rooted in envy and selfish ambition as well. We have to be careful, church, as we represent Christ in the world that whatever our wisdom is doesn't come from envy and selfish ambition. He says, because where that is, there is disorder and every evil practice. Hello, disorder. (laughs) Is the world in any more disorder? I mean, oh my goodness. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. Sometimes we think, how, how is it that I tell the difference? How is it that I tell the difference between wisdom that comes from God, that is spiritual, and wisdom that comes from the world, which is unspiritual, demonic, and destructive? It's right there in verse 17. Hold up whatever wisdom that you're trying to discern. Hold it up against James 3.17, and it'll be easier to figure it out. But wisdom that, from, that is from above is pure, peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. So this is the kind of wisdom that Joseph is exhibiting now, it's the kind of wisdom that he's exhibited um, at, at least, maybe not when he was 17 he wasn't that wise because he, he liked to throw it in his brother's faces. But now you remember we said it's 13 years later. He's 30 years old now. He's learned a lot. God has grown in him. So you also notice in, that, in this moment with, with Pharaoh that Joseph is exhibiting a lot of humility when that 
verse in James says it's peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy. Joseph is showing a lot of humility because when, when he tells the Pharaoh, this is the wisdom, this is how you should um, apply this knowledge that God has given you, he doesn't, you notice he doesn't volunteer. He doesn't say, hey, I'm your guy, Pharaoh. I'm the guy that can, can get you through this. I'm the guy who can figure this out. He says, let Pharaoh find someone. He says uh, in verse 33, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Like Joseph doesn't say it's him. He says the, the, the wise application of what God has shown you, Pharaoh, is to find somebody who has wisdom, not somebody who has a whole bunch of knowledge, but somebody who has wisdom and put them in charge. And so Joseph has this kind of wisdom. And in humility, he's showing that to Pharaoh. Well, Pharaoh is not stupid. So he sees it. I mean, it's so obvious to him. Um, Go back to Genesis 41. Look at verse 37. This is Pharaoh's response to what Joseph says. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. Like everybody in the room just looks at each other... You ever have that moment where somebody says something and everybody just looks around and goes, wow, that's it. Like that's, that, like maybe at your job or, or here or at home or something where people are trying to figure out a problem and one person comes up with an idea and everybody goes, oh, wow, that's it. That's it. No questions asked. It pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. Verse 38, and he said to them, can we find anyone like this, a man who has God's spirit in him? Pay attention to what Pharaoh is saying. Verse 39, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. Wow. Now, I'm I'm guessing the character of an Egyptian Pharaoh, humility probably isn't high on his list. He's the, he's the king. He's used to being in charge. Everything goes by his word. But what kind of an impact, what kind of an influence is Joseph having on this worldly pagan king for this king to look at Joseph and say, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. This is not normal. This is not all Joseph's great work. Joseph is being faithful, but God, again, just like he has before, just like he did with Potiphar, just like he did in the prison, he's given Joseph a supernatural favor. And this wisdom that Joseph is coming up with, Joseph is one of the first ones to tell you, it's not me. He's already told Pharaoh at the beginning of the conversation, I can't tell you what you want to know. I can't tell you what you need to know, but God can. So Joseph's already acknowledged, what I'm telling you is from God. And Pharaoh listens, and he says, since God's made this known to you, you're the guy. Like, I would be crazy as a leader not to pick you to be that man that you talked about me needing. You're the guy. Um, now, the language, um, one of the things I was curious about and, and what I found is it seems like all of a sudden... 
Pharaoh is just suddenly a believer because he's mentioning God. When you, when you look at the Hebrew language, this isn't necessarily, it's not necessarily that Pharaoh just instantly becomes a believer in Yahweh, that, that he believes in Joseph's God just automatically. Um, the language, when you do the research, the words, he uses the words Elohim here. And sometimes that word Elohim in the Hebrew can also, it doesn't always mean specifically God. The, the one true God. Sometimes it's a general. And so J- Pharaoh isn't necessarily confessing his faith in Joseph's God for himself. But what he's saying is, your God has shown you this. It's so obvious. There's such a, like we've talked about before, such a supernatural presence and such a supernatural influence in what Joseph is saying and what Joseph is doing Pharaoh looks back and go, looks and says, it is obvious that your God has shown you this, that he's given you this, you're giving credit to him, and I'm going to listen up and pay attention. He says, who is there, anybody who is as wise as you? Um, you know where great wisdom comes from? A great God. Great wisdom comes from a great God, period. Doesn't come from me, doesn't come from you, doesn't come from the government, especially. Great wisdom comes from a great God. And I thought about, um, I thought about that Tomlin, Chris Tomlin worship song, How Great Is Our God, that we sing from time to time, and, and, and we've sung that song for years. And that song is meant as a proclamation of how great, like look at how great our God is. But when I thought about it this week and thought, what if we put a question mark at the end of that question, end of that song title, and made it "How Great Is Our God?" question mark. What if Tomlin had written it that way? Here's the thing: when we exhibit great wisdom, we show that there's a great God. When we don't, when we don't exhibit good wisdom, great wisdom, then it reflects back on to him. How great is our God when others watch and see how we apply the knowledge we have? Because remember, wisdom is the application of knowledge. And we know what we know. We know what God's word tells us. So how great is our God to the rest of the world when they look at my life and see how do I apply what God has said? For that moment in Egypt, in that palace, in that throne room, Pharaoh and all who were with him saw the greatness of God in Joseph, don't you want people to see the greatness of God in you? Don't you want... I don't want people to look at my life and and see a mediocre God. You don't want people to look at our lives and and see a God. (laughs) We, We want them to see how great he is. And part of the way we do that is we exhibit the wisdom of God. Great wisdom reflects a great God. So look at verse 40. 
Pharaoh says, you're, uh, Joseph in humility says, this is the plan. This is what you need to do, Pharaoh. And this is the kind of person you need to find it. Pharaoh responds and says, well, you're that guy. I mean, it's obvious I would be brain dead not to realize it's you, Joseph. It's so clear. Look at verse 40. You will be over my house. This is Pharaoh talking to Joseph. You will be over my house and all my people will obey your commands. Only I as king will be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, See, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand. Clothed him with fine linen garments and placed a gold chain around his neck. He had Joseph ride in his second chariot and servants called out before him, Make way! So he placed him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and no one will be able to raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt without your permission. Now, do, you, do we realize what has happened here? Think about the last 24 hours of Joseph's life. The night before this happened, he went to sleep on a floor in a prison. That's, this is the night before. 24 hours later, he goes, to, he goes to bed in a palace. And he is almost the most powerful man in all of Egypt. 24 hours. He woke up, he woke up in the prison and he went to bed in the palace. That's, that's not normal. That is supernatural. Um, and, and we would look at that and go, wow, that was overnight success, right? That was just boom, boom. All of a sudden, everything changed, right? It, it would look like that, but that really isn't the case. It's, it, it wasn't overnight success that Joseph really experienced. You remember from the time he was thrown in the pit, it's been 13 years that this has happened. On the, on the outside, the, the, the visible success that Joseph sees, yeah, it seems to change very drastically, very quickly. But this wasn't a, this wasn't a quick journey from rags to riches. This was a 13-year-long process that all the while God was working, moving the pieces together, putting them exactly where they were supposed to be so that this could happen. And every step of Joseph's journey was making a way for the next step. Do you, do you see how all of that works? If he had not been thrown in the pit, if, if Reuben had not spoken up, he would have died in there. And so then he's taken out, he's sold to the slave traders. If he's not so, sold to that group of slave traders, then he wouldn't have ended up where Potiphar was. And Potiphar happened to be the one to buy him. And if Potiphar had not bought him then Potiphar's wife would not have accused him. And if she had not have accused him, he wouldn't have ended up in prison. And if he weren't in Egypt at Potiphar's house, he wouldn't have ended up in the prison with the baker and the cupbearer because that was a special prison. And if he had not been in the prison meeting those guys, they wouldn't have had their dreams interpreted. 
And because they had their dreams interpreted, when, when the cupbearer got out, he wouldn't have known who Joseph was, but he did because Joseph interpreted his dream. And so then when, when Pharaoh had a dream, the cupbearer wouldn't have known anybody who would have interpreted the dream unless he had met Joseph. So now Joseph is there, and, and Joseph would have never ended up in the courtroom of the Pharaoh if he had not been in jail with the cupbearer. And Joseph would never be almost king of Egypt if it weren't for all of that. You see how every part, and you take one piece out of that puzzle, the whole thing falls apart. One piece. So don't think that whatever you're going through right now isn't a piece of your puzzle, because it is. Like whatever it is. It, it may be a great, it may be a, a good piece, where something great is happening and you're loving it and you're praising the Lord for his goodness, it may be that the piece that he's putting together right now is really, really bad. Or it may be that you feel like he's not doing anything. But he's doing something. He's always working. And whatever, whatever piece putting together that you're living in right now is going to be a part of the big picture and the promise we have is that the big picture when it's done is always going to be good God doesn't end he, he doesn't put pictures together that are bad it's always going to be good and you remember Joseph's dream how did this whole story start it started with these dreams that he was having when he was back home with his brothers and what were the dreams about? You remember? You notice how through the story he interprets the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker and then he interprets the dreams of the pharaoh but all the while he still doesn't really know exactly what his dreams are supposed to mean. You see it coming together. The, the, what made those dreams offensive to his father and his brothers were because it, they were about authority. Those dreams revealed to Joseph that he would be in authority, that he would be given authority. And now we see what's happening. Now that's become invisible. Now Joseph's story, finally, his dreams. What do these things mean? Why is it that I'm doing this and this and this and this and this when my dream says I'm supposed to be here, but I'm doing this all the, all the way, all the while? Like it's finally coming into focus. He's, he, he's beginning to see now. Have you, have you thought that this story is like a roller coaster yet? Like, have you had that, that image? Like, Joseph is just, yeah, he's, he's great, everything's great. Thrown into prison by his brothers. Sold into slavery. He ends up in Potiphar's house. Uh, now he's in charge of everything. Oh, that's good. Oh, he gets... Accused of rape. Now, bottom, bottom falls back out now. Now he's back in prison. And then he meets the kind, and he's down there for a while. He's down there for a few years. And then, and then now he's back up probably, at this point, the highest place that it's been so far. Um, who likes roller coasters? Okay. All right, some of y'all really like roller coasters. Like, I can take them or leave them. I kind of have a love-hate relationship with some coasters. I'm, I'm, I was always a roller coaster 
wimp when I was a kid growing up. Uh, but I got a little braver. Like being a youth minister over the years and getting shamed by a seventh grader because you won't ride a roller coaster does a lot for your motivation. <laughs> I don't want them to think I'm a wimp. Okay, I'll do it. And, and, and then you do it and it's not so bad. Um, I don't know if you've ever read or heard or watched those television shows about the engineers that, that put those things together and design them. What's the, um, what's the scariest, I, I don't know about you guys, but the scariest part of a roller coaster to me is like that first 60 seconds. It's, it's going up that first big hill. And it's not so much going up the hill that's scary. It's going down the other side that freaks me out. It's that first big hill, that first drop. Like, and, and see, they take you up to the top of that thing slow on purpose just to mess with you. It's got to be. Like, like they, they, you're just like creating like click, 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 click. Like, like can, can that be more torture? I mean, I, and, and you're going to the top slow, 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 click, click, click. And then all of a sudden, and then it's just almost free fall. Um, I'm not a big Goliath fan at Six Flags. You know why? But it's because of that first hill. I can't, when I come over the top of that thing and I can't see the track, it freaks me out. Because it's, it, it's almost, like from looking on the outside, it doesn't look like it's quite that steep. But I feel like I'm like going backwards. And there are other coasters who are, that are even more of a drop angle than that, guess what? I've never ridden those. I haven't got on them because I just, I, I just can't do it. I can't even see what's in front of me right now. Um, but if you've watched or ever heard about how they design those coasters, you know why that first hill is such a long drop and why it goes down so far? Because in that first drop, is what builds the momentum that carries you through the whole rest of the ride. Like if it's not, if it's not for that first crazy, <laughs> scary, straight down drop, then you wouldn't have the momentum and the force to carry you all the way through the rest of the ride. The momentum carries you through in that first drop. Um, I want us to kind of wrap up this morning looking at Proverbs chapter 3. I want you to flip over to Proverbs 3. And I want to look at some scriptures there, some that you're very, very familiar with. Um, Proverbs chapter 3, I want us to start with verse 3. Everybody knows verses 5 and 6, and we'll get to those. But I want us to go back up and look at Proverbs 3, verse 3. It says, never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard with God and people. Think about Joseph for a second. And look at verses 3 and 4. Is that not... A, a beautiful picture of what we see happening in Joseph's life so far. Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Everywhere Joseph went, he was loyal and he was faithful. When he was at Potiphar's house, he was loyal and faithful. 
when he was put in charge in the prison, he was loyal and faithful. Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard with people and God. You know what you get when you're a loyal and faithful person? Good things. Most of the time. You say, well, that didn't always happen with Joseph. You're right. Sometimes you don't. Like we said, sometimes you do the right thing and you get beat up for it. But again, Proverbs are principles. Most of the time, loyalty and faithfulness results in favor, high regard with God and people. That's what Joseph is experiencing. He's not only experiencing regard from God, but he's like, he is receiving the, the biggest favor ever. He's basically the king of Egypt now at this point. And then verses 5 and 6, we know well, but I'm going to add verse 7 to it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Right? Human wisdom, wisdom from above. It says don't rely on human wisdom, your own understanding. In all your ways, know him or acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Look at verse 7. Don't be wise in your own eyes. There's that wisdom again. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So what verse 7 says, that if we, if we do want to be wise, he says, don't be wise in your own eyes, but wisdom comes by fearing the Lord and turning away from evil. So that's what we do. We rely on God. We, we, we honor him. We, we um, revere God. That, that fear of God doesn't, doesn't mean that we're afraid of God, but we, we put God in a place of honor that, that no one else is. And we obey and turn away from evil. That's where Joseph's wisdom came from. It came from God because of his faithfulness. Now, go back to verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't rely on your own understanding. That means your, your own understanding will get you in trouble. You try to figure it out on your own, it's going to get you in trouble. Don't do that. But in all your ways, know him, acknowledge him, apply, allow God into every part of your life. Every decision, every angle, everything, make him a part of it. Know him. Make, make him evident in every piece. And he will make your paths straight. Okay, Eric, why are you talking about straight paths with Joseph? What did we just say Joseph's story is? This is not straight. And I think when we read that verse, we think that if we, if we do what verse 5 says, trust God with all of our heart and don't rely on our own understanding and in all of our ways acknowledge him and he will make our path straight, we think a straight path is like this aisle. We think that God just 
just makes a straight line with, with like no obstructions and no anything, and, 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 it's, and it's straight. But I don't, I've kind of over the years, in my experience with God, found out that God's straight path doesn't always look that way. Let's go back to the roller coaster thing for a minute. You know how scary, it may not be for you, but I'm talking for me, like how scary, intimidating it is to, to look at a coaster, to, to get on that thing and trust and you're going up that hill, that when you drop. Let me ask you a question. Would you get on a coaster like that if you didn't know where it was going to end up? What if you could see the entrance and the queue line to get on it, but you had no idea where the end of it was? Would you still get on it? What if you didn't know there was an end to it? Or what if, like some coasters theme, what if the end of it is just a broken track that you fall off of? Would you still get on it? If you didn't know, because we don't get in airplanes like that. Would you get in an airplane that did the same thing a roller coaster does? No. If they showed you the flight path of your airplane and it looked like this, you're not getting on the plane, right? We don't ride in, we don't ride in cars that do that. Um, like, why is it that we look at something as twisted and curvy and, and upside down and herky-jerky as a roller coaster, look at the craziness of that path and still get on it? You know why? Because you know exactly where you're going to end up when it's over. That's why. When you're standing in that line and you see that cart go off and it disappears for about three minutes and then you see those same people in that same car come right back to where you are. And even though you may be on the ride freaking out for those three minutes and, and, you're, and you're screaming and you're yelling and you're like, oh, I think I'm going to be sick. Like, I don't, I don't know what this is going to be. In your mind, you know, in about three minutes, you're going to be right back here. That's why you get on it. Because you know where it's going to end up. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. Here's the point I want you to get and to wrap up this morning. The straightness of God's path isn't in the journey. It's in the destination. When God says, I will make your path straight, he doesn't mean that it's not going to do this from time to time. Or it may do this. <laughs> because most of us look at our lives and we're trying to honor God, but our life looks like anything but a straight path. even though we take off 
and our life is doing this and this and this and this and it's twirling around, it's heading straight for a specific destination. Just like that coaster. It's going out, it's going out into somewhere and it's twisting all around, but it's coming straight back to where a specific place where it's going to end. God says, you honor me. The straight path I put you on may go this way, but it's straight, not because this part is straight, but because the destination is solid, secure, and promised. Does that make sense? Do you you get that? Like the straight path doesn't mean that the journey is straight because we've all been turned upside down plenty of times in our life. It's a straight path because it's going to go straight to exactly where he wants it to go. And he says, that place is good. And that place is safe. And you are going to get there. So where are you in your straight path? Maybe you feel like you're, you're going up the hill really slowly and you're and you can see something up ahead that you know is not going to be fun. It's going to be scary. Or maybe you're coming down the hill and you see, you see a big two full twists and, and two loops coming. And you feel like your life is in the middle of that. And you go, Eric, my life doesn't know. A straight path? <laughs> it doesn't seem very straight. If you trust in the Lord with all your heart, don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, make him the sinner. And he makes the path straight. He may not take out the twists. He may not take out the curves. But he makes it a straight path to him. And the one way we can know that our coaster of life has a straight path to God is if we've trusted in Christ. And that's the only way you know. Living life without a relationship with Jesus is like getting on a crazy roller coaster. You don't know where it's going to end up. And that whole idea that you laughed at before is like, oh, what if you got on a coaster and you got to the end of the track and it just fell off? I'm pretty sure that life without Christ, that's what it's going to feel like if you get to the end of that track. And you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus. 